Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Man, well, welcome tonight to Church on the Rock. You know, God has a word for us tonight. We're going to be continuing in the book of Acts. And if you want to get ahead, you can go to Acts chapter 4. And tonight, the title of our message tonight is The Proof of the Pudding. The Proof of the Pudding. Wow. And uh, we'll be in Acts chapter 4. What in the world does that mean? Well, today as I was praying and seeking God and studying His Word, God reminded me that He had created everything. He had created the ocean. He had created the shoreline. He had created every wave and every movement of the earth. That he was very meticulous in his creation. He knew what he was doing. But yet, even in his creation, he had designed things so that, you know, truth never changes, but texture does. Many things never change. The truth of God never changes, but a lot of other things do. He created the ocean and the shoreline. And every wave, he said to me today... Each wave, every wave has power and every wave has purpose. I got to thinking about it. I don't know exactly what God is doing, but I just got to imagining him turning the earth and kind of sloshing like I would in a bowl. The ocean's kind of sloshing. I don't know if that's what happens or not, but I got, you know, every wave, God is doing something. God is building something. God is causing something. God is working something with each and every wave. The greatest resistance, by the way, to the next wave is the last wave. Have you ever been on the shoreline at the beach and, and a wave is coming in and, and just before that wave gets there and you're anticipating it, it feels like the last wave is trying to take you out, to, uh, you know, out into the water. It, it, it's pushing it. And all of a sudden you see the wave going back out and the wave coming in and those two meeting and that turmoil that takes place because the, the, the next wave is always resisted most. By the last wave, that's just nature. This truth, by the way, runs parallel with the fact that the greatest resistance faced by anything new in your life, in your family, in our community, our nation, in this world, in the church, the greatest resistance faced by anything new is the last new thing. You might say, oh, I, you know, not a new thing, an old thing. No, you know, every old thing was new at one time. The old thing always resists the new thing. Truth does not change, but other things do. Uh, for example, you know, uh, I was just next door uh, between 6 and 6.30, and the parents of our youth that are going to camp were meeting next door. And one of the things that they encouraged the parents to do was to encourage their children to bring what I'm going to call tonight, forgive me, a real Bible. And they said, uh, and in fact, I think that's the word that Pastor Marcus used. You know, get them to bring a real Bible. We like them to have a real Bible in their hands because we're going to take their cell phones during, uh, during the services uh, because it keeps them from doing Facebook and keeps them from being distracted and, and from distracting others, you know, just like a movie, for example. And so we want to just, you know, make sure that we'll, we'll, we'll take them up, you know, let them know that we'll give them right back at the end of service. But, but if they will have a real Bible in their hands, is what he was saying. Uh, he, he, he said that they'll, you know, uh, perhaps they'll grow to, uh, you know, like it or respect it, whatever, and uh, utilize it. Um, you know, uh, the fact is, is that 
I kind of like these old genuine cowhide Bibles, if you will. Uh, you know, the new personal electronic devices uh, with smartphones and tablets. You know, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've got a tablet here. You know, they're wonderful and everything. But just, just for me, I mean, people use them, and especially this next generation. It is, it is for them the old thing. For me, it's the new thing, you know? And, uh, uh, and uh, you know, it just doesn't speak the same thing to me. But these electronic Bibles seem to be the new thing. I just like the old thing. However, the old thing is not really the old thing. The old thing is just the my thing. This is not the old thing. This is just the my thing. You see, because... I'm pretty certain that people who were carrying around scrolls at one point complained about these bound Bibles. Because those scrolls didn't have the dictionary and a concordance and, and margin notes and, and, and records of people's marriages and deaths all in them. My goodness, they have mixed this up with so much other stuff that, that you know, I want the pure scroll. Because the scroll was the old thing and the new thing was the bound Bible. But the scroll wasn't the old thing. The scroll was the new thing one day because the, the, the stone tablet was the old thing. But then, are we talking the stone tablet that was written by man? Because it was the new thing. Because the old thing was the one written by the finger of God. You see... New things are often resisted, not by an old thing, but by a my thing. <laughs> Whatever we get comfortable with. I'm wondering what the next generation will try to preserve and protect and holding on to their phones, their, their Androids and their iPhones and, and their Google phones and holding on to them for dear life whenever their children are trying to rip them out of their hands and give them an implant. Come on now. At any rate, it seems to be the nature of old things to resist new things, even when new things are God things. It's just hard for some people. Customs, comforts, comfort zones, it can be hard to change, especially if the old believes that I am preserving something for God. That Jehovah God has given me a responsibility to make sure that nothing but the King James is preached in this pulpit. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get off that one quickly, okay? I believe in the King James, but the King James is a, an American English phenomenon. That means that 94% of the whole world cannot even have a Bible if the King James is the only authorized version. Because anytime you translate it to another language, it's no longer the King James. Thou sayest? Yes, thou said. <laughs> Sometimes people feel a personal God-given responsibility. They may feel it in truth or they may feel it in a little bit of error. Feeling so responsible to, to protect and preserve the good God thing that was given them. At the expense of the next good God-given gift. Whew, that wasn't easy to say. Glad I didn't write it down. I'm not sure I could have spelled all that together there. 
The old guard believes many times they are responsible to protect and preserve the old thing. And uh, no doubt this was what was in play when we get to Acts chapter 4. Is that there was an old guard that had been given a God thing to protect and to preserve. And here God was giving a new thing called Jesus Christ, Messiah, which the old thing, the law and the Psalms and the prophets had spoken about. But now that the new thing was here, not every new thing is a bad thing. And not every new thing is a good thing. But in this particular instance, God was fulfilling his will and his word as he was giving Jesus to a people who had been worshiping and protecting and preserving the worship of Jehovah. They had been protecting it for centuries. These old guard people were doing what they were convicted to do. And yet these new born-again believer Jews were upsetting the apple cart. I mean, come on now, we worship in the temple. These new born-again believers would worship God anywhere. You know, and there didn't have to be 10 of them. You know, I mean, uh, you know, oh my goodness, they're, 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 you know, they're destroying our worship of Jehovah. The old guard was pretty upset. And the old guard, the religious Jewish leaders who had been ordained by God to protect and preserve had failed to embrace the new God moment, which was not a new moment, but was a prophesied and unfolding event that God had before, before predicted and that it was its time to come to pass. Wow. At times, we can even see it in nature playing out. As we have already heard that there is a life, an eternal life headed our way. It's a new thing to us. But we kind of like to protect the old thing God gave us. <laughs> Hello, we kind of like to hold on to the old thing. We don't want the new thing coming too quickly here. And we can resist the new thing, which we should up until the appointed time of God. And then we should embrace it. This plays out throughout history. But it's playing out here in Acts, the fourth chapter. You remember last week in chapter 3. Peter and John were going to pray and a lame man asked for some money and they ended up healing this lame man and the lame man went into the temple, went to church with them and began to worship with them and it caused a great upset. There was a great disturbance and uh, uh, because this man was well known, he was, he was 40, he was over 40 years old and he had every day been laid at the gate of the temple called Beautiful and, and people knew him well and all of a sudden they saw him walking and leaping 
worshiping and praising God and giving thanks to Peter and John. Well, Peter preached a great sermon and told them that it was his, that Jesus' name, that they didn't do it, but it was the name of Jesus through faith in the name of Jesus that made this man strong. And, 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 and they drew this crowd. A crowd came from everywhere. And uh, there were just thousands and thousands of people listening to Peter preach on the Temple Mount. And so uh, it caused such a disturbance that, uh, that the leader, the religious leaders also decide they better go check on this. So we pick up in chapter 4 in verse 1 of our continuing study in the book of Acts, uh, reading from the New King James Version. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. First of all, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, but also the priests and, and, and the captain of the temple, they were concerned with reason and with right of reason. Let's don't just take these people and chunk them off the temple mount. Okay? That's not a reality either because God is doing his best to get the message that Messiah has come through to them because he wants them saved. Jesus died to save these people, but they are in a quandary. They have been protecting a, 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 a millennia-old you know, obligation, the Word, the Torah, the temple. And here, all of a sudden, these young uneducated young men they were preaching in the name of Jesus not in the name of Jehovah and 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 Jesus was a recognized criminal in Jerusalem who had been crucified on a cross because he had been convicted of blasphemy and 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 uh, oh my goodness now people are preaching in his name. And so the religious leaders came and said, stop that. They were greatly disturbed because Peter and John were teaching the people and they were preaching Jesus. Not that his body was stolen, but rather that he was resurrected from the dead, which went against the Sadducees' doctrine. But also it was, you know, they were afraid it was heresy. They were afraid it was blasphemy. Verse 3. And these Sadducees and the priests and the captain of the temple, they laid their hands on Peter and John and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed. You know, if you can just get the word of God like a seed, even into one small little crevice, one little break, one little thought. You know, I don't know about you, but my driveway is a little cracked. It's got two or three cracks in it. I, I don't know, did your driveway? Mine does. Our parking lot does. It's got those strips where we put, you know, expansion joints in our parking lot. And if you walk out there right now, I don't know how it happens, but there'll be grass growing up out of one of those cracks. The smallest little crack in my driveway will have a blade of grass crawling up out of it. How does that happen? Well, those little seeds, they find every little crevice, every opportunity. Seeds desire, with great desire, they desire to find a place that they can germinate. 
that they can, can populate the earth, that they can, you know, uh, uh, grow. And that's the way the Word of God is. And so here, while Peter was preaching this very brief message and many people coming and, and all of the, 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 the people talking about what was happening, there was enough of the Word of God that Peter had preached. And basically, Peter had just told him that Jesus Christ, Son of God and Messiah, He will save your soul if you'll give your life to Him. He's powerful. He is the Christ, the Messiah. Well, all the Jews knew what that meant. And whenever he said, this Jesus, whom the builders had rejected, had become the head of the corner, oh my goodness. They understood that proverb. They understood that prophecy. And so many of them having just a, just a, little, just a little crevice, a little line, just, just a little opportunity in their life had been prepared by God. The seed of his word fell upon them and it was enough so that the number of the men who believed the word were about five thousand. Can you imagine five thousand people? While they're dragging Peter and John off to jail, five thousand people get born again because Peter had preached the word of God, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now perhaps you have heard it said that the proof of the pudding is in the taste of the pudding. That is a very common saying. The saying points to the fact that the final product means everything. You know, it's not in, 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 in one ingredient. It's not in, it's not in uh, how you do what you do. Anything. The proof of the pudding is in the taste of the pudding. I mean, listen, the ultimate outcome of what you do when it produces souls, then you were probably doing the right thing. It worked together. Okay. The final outcome of an event, whether it's a surgery or a school year or a church service, a friendship, a relationship, a marriage, the final proof, whether it was good for you or bad for you, the final outcome of, of an event uh, will determine whether the event was right or wrong. The proof of the pudding is in the taste of the pudding. The ultimate outcome is the final proof. And here we know that Peter and John had done what was right, even though they got arrested for it, even though they got taken off of the Temple Mount. I have heard sermons say that we should not go against the, you know, the, 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 the established uh, rules at school to witness at ball games to pray, at city council meetings to lift up the name of Jesus. Come on now. Have you heard such things? I've heard such things. You see, it was against the law there to do that. It was against the rules. But the rules which are wrong we'll find in a moment. We are better off following the rules of God which encourage us not to civil disobedience, not to cause riots and problems, but to share the living word of God, a good word that leads people to salvation. It is plain to see that the outcome of this lame man being healed 
And Peter's resulting sermon produced 5,000 believers. I would say it was a pretty good day for the church, but not only for the church. It was a pretty good day for all of Jerusalem and even for the whole nation of Israel and the whole world. That was a good day. It got things started that haven't stopped yet. It's a good day when we see the results of people being born again. But just because we have a church service and just because we get loud and just because we sing and just because we have a revival and just because we have weeks of, 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 of you know, wonderful things going on doesn't always mean that the outcome is souls for the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus corrected the theology of those 70 that he sent out in Matthew 10 and Luke 10 when they came back and said, Woo, the devils are subject unto us. He said, Yes, yes, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, and I've given you power over serpents and scorpions, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall be any means hurt you. Yes, I know. But let me tell you what the most important thing is. The most important thing is that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's nothing more important. There's no greater outcome than seeing souls saved. Getting up in a pulpit and complaining about the government. I'm not saying that we need to be in agreement, but it won't save souls. I was raised in a generation when communism was at the forefront of every preacher's sermon. If we could just rid communism, if we could just rid the world of abortion, if we could just rid the world, you know, I am against all of those things. But I will not take up the pulpit time and the Word of God time to do anything except preach Christ and Him crucified. For the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the power of God unto salvation. It is the only thing that saves. Peter didn't waste his time complaining about the government, the rules, the regulations. What he did was he preached Christ unto them. And they, as the Word of God says, those did in Samaria with one accord, gave heed to the things that Peter spoke, and they believed the Word and were saved. And it blessed all of Jerusalem. It blessed all the children of Israel and indeed all the world. In the year 2000, the Palestinians and the Jews in Israel got into great turmoil and great conflict. Great tensions arose and out of that in the year 2000 came that, that great second intifada. That, that war, that declared holy war between the Palestinians, uh, from the Palestinians toward the Jews. They wanted to destroy the, the, the state of Israel, and their desire uh, was to do it in such a way that, that, that they would just wreak havoc in, in all of Israel. It happened on occasion because Errol Sharon, the prime minister, had visited the Temple Mount. And, 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 and it's called the Great Intifada of Al-Aqsad Mosque Intifada. Uh, because uh, it, they, they felt as though that it was a great insult. Uh, I was there in Israel that year. And over the next few years, things got so bad in Israel. Suicide bombings. I'm talking about tourism fell completely off and, and, and businesses fell off and things were being bombed and destroyed and people being killed and houses burned and it was horrible. It was horrible. Hotels had to shut down and restaurants closed down and, and for years it was almost 
you know, a, a, a wasteland, a ghost land. There were so many suicide bombings. Schools, malls, restaurants, city buses. That by the year 2004, the Parliament of Israel, the Knesset, one of the members in particular, a member of the Knesset who was a Russian-born Jew, he was a journalist by trade and became a member of Parliament. This Russian-born Jew, member of Parliament, decided that he needed help, that the nation of Israel needed help. His name was Yuri Stern. And he launched what has become known as the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus. Yuri Stern that year in 2004 reached out to churches all around the world. Christian churches as a Jewish member of a Jewish parliament in Israel reached out to Christians and churches and he asked for help. I was invited along with leaders of denominations from all over the world. There were about 800 leaders of denominations. The way that I got invited is because their denominations are recognizable. The Baptist, the Methodist, the Catholic, the Church of Christ, the Orthodox, you know, they were all there. But they could not find someone to represent the interdenominational and non-denominational churches, the independent churches, over which there is no covering organization because we're independent. And so one of the people that was handling advertisement for the State Department of Israel happened to go, happened to attend Church on the Rock in Carrollton, Texas. And so he told them that Church on the Rock would represent all of the interdenominational, non-denominational, independent, charismatic churches in the world. <laughs> and so they needed a representative. They knew who the Baptists were. They knew who the Catholics were. They knew who the... But so uh, I served on the board of directors for Church on the Rock. And so I got this invitation, all expenses paid to go to Israel and meet with all these other leaders of denominations and the Knesset and meet with Parliament and talk about how churches, how Christians could help with a situation that was almost unbearable because there were bombings and there were, you know, uh, the, the, the suicide, it, 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 was, it was really, really, really bad. And tourism and as a result, finances had dried up in Israel and businesses were out of business. And so, uh, you know, I, I met, rode on buses and met important people and all kinds of other stuff. And, and do you know what they ask us to do in all those meetings? I mean, I heard some of the great, uh, uh, you know, prime ministers and past prime ministers and presidents and Knesset members and all that as, as, as we talked and talked and talked and talked. And some of them came here to visit us, came to visit me, came and uh, spoke in the pulpit here, came into my house and I went to their houses and, and we've become great friends and, and, you know, wonderful stuff going on for years. It's lasted for years and it's wonderful. But do you know what the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus ask us to do in those early days they ask us to please witness tell the Palestinians tell the Arabs tell especially any radical factions any militant fundamental Arabs and Palestinians 
tell them about Jesus Christ and get them born again. That's what they ask us to do. And they gave us the backing at that point of this, you know, CAC, which were at that point 14 or 17 members initially of the, of the Knesset and said, we would like it. Why? Because they said that when the radical Palestinians, when, the, when those who were their enemies, when those who were willing to strap on bombs, some of which are our friends today who got converted, who pastor churches in Israel, some of these very people that were led to the Lord, that, that when these radical Palestinians who were willing to strap a bomb on and be a suicide bomber in the midst of that intifada, when these people met Jesus Christ and had a born-again experience, they ceased to be destructive and they started being supportive. They stopped being the enemies of the state of Israel and became supporters of a right to exist all because of a born again experience with Jesus Christ that's not me saying this this was them saying this however they did ask that we not witness to Jews that didn't want Jews being converted to Christianity because the religious leadership of Israel and the status quo and everything else and their religious concerns, they needed to satisfy everybody that was in the bowl. And they could not in that day go against what these men felt like they were protecting any more today than they could, you know, 2,000 years ago. But they wanted us to make sure that we witnessed to the Palestinians. Well, as time went on, we, we met and, you know, we met all over this nation and other nations and talked and we, you know, put together caucuses and support and all kinds of other things. In the year 2006, I was invited to go and meet with the mayor of Jerusalem. And uh, a friend of mine, a business friend of mine there in Israel that owns some businesses wanted me to come and meet with him. So I went and he and I went up and went into the back door drove in and you know I mean got uh, like like he owned the like my friend owned the place and went into the mayor's office and sat down and we just here talking and everything and uh, and 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 the mayor who was you know a very a, a religious guy um, Jewish religious um, he said listen after we talked for a while he said listen uh, uh, pastor Hammonds I really like you he said would you be willing please would you please Start a church on the rock church here in Jerusalem. I will make sure that you have a building. I will find you a building. I'll get you in a building and I'll get you support. If you'll just start a Christian church, if you'll start a church, one of those good, strong, independent, charismatic churches here in Jerusalem, I'll make sure you have support and I'll get you a building because we need these Arabs to get born again. <laughs> he was still, they, they were still on that track, man. We want our enemies to meet Jesus. We don't want you to be witnessing to the Jews because that upsets the apple cart here. But would you start a church here? He took off a pin. Uh, if you ever see any of the uh, mayors of Jerusalem, every one of them are wearing a pin. It looks like a, a Peugeot pin on the front of a Peugeot, a little lion is what it looks like. And he took it off of his suit collar and he came over and he, he, uh, on, on his, and he, and he pinned it on my, on my lapel and you know, he, uh, he kissed me on both cheeks and said, please, please, sir, come and start a church. I will support it. Here's that little pin right here. Isn't it? 
that neat? Uh, uh, but the goal was to see people change. What was his hope? His hope was that the Palestinians, his, his, his hope was that his enemies would meet Jesus. Whoa. Now, isn't that amazing? To me, that's amazing. Well, the proof of the pudding is in the taste of the pudding. And they had tasted the pudding. They had found that when their enemies get born again and receive Jesus Christ, they stop being enemies. I think we should adopt some of that. I think perhaps we should start witnessing to our enemies a little more effectively. Those that are rubbing us the wrong way and bothering us or robbing us or cheating us or stealing from us or frustrating, aggravating, irritating, perhaps we need to become a better witness to those because the same thing happens when people get born again. They, they cease to be a curse and start being a blessing. They cease to be a terror and start being a benefit. They cease to be destroyers and become supporters. Well, uh, this is what Peter and John were finding. This, you know, the fact that these 5,000 people got born again, the fact that this man got healed, this is their salvation because they have been taken to jail. And boy, these religious leaders are not happy at all. Let's look, let's pick up now where we left off with, with, with verse 5. Now they took them off to jail, but, but as they're taking them off, 5,000 people get saved because they preached the word. The religious leaders aren't happy, though, because these people that got saved were, were, were Jewish followers. These were Jewish people in the temple worshiping Jehovah, and now they've accepted this new thing, Jesus. Verse 5, and it came to pass on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set Peter and John in the midst of all this other council, they asked Peter and John, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he had an unction from God. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit picked which one? Peter or John? Peter or John? Peter or John? Peter or John? Okay, we're going with Peter. And Peter felt the unction. He felt the anointing. He felt the, the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit to be the one that spoke up. And he said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Now, you know, listen for just a moment here. If your worst complaint about someone, if your greatest aggravation about someone else is just that they are praying too much, praying too hard, fasting too often, you know, uh, you know, uh, 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 worshiping God too loud, uh, you know, uh, 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 if that's your worst complaint, is that they're reading the Bible, is they're doing, I mean, they're just so, I mean, they're just uh, praying too much, uh, you know. If that's your worst complaint about them, that they're doing their best trying to get people saved and healed and get people right with God, then you may need to be saved yourself if all you can do is complain about other people that are a little bit more religious than you are. That may have church a little more often or a little longer. 
When you drive by somebody's church, you get out of here at noon and you drive by somebody else's church and you, you know, and you, and then you leave the restaurant at 1.30 and they're still in church. Don't drive by there and go, oh my goodness, those people are crazy. They might be praying for you. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> All right. So here they're going to get on to Peter and John for healing a man. Who in the world would get on to somebody for healing somebody or for praying for somebody? They went to the temple and prayed. Oh, you prayed too loud. They went to the temple. They went to church and preached. Oh, you shouldn't be preaching in the church. I mean, come on now. Either when, when somebody's doing more for Jesus than you are, you are, and they're trying harder than you are, don't judge them. Join them or leave them alone. But don't make it harder for them to seek God and to pray and to, and to worship and to, and to go more often or stay longer or, you know, or, or, or cry more. Or, or, you know, uh, listen, don't disdain those that are, that, that, are, that are pushing themselves into God. Here the religious leaders were complaining because Peter and John were just a little bit too good at healing people. Okay? They did it to Jesus. Who could complain? Jesus is healing people in church and they stop him almost every time and complain about him want to kick him out he gets up and preaches a good sermon and and they said man today the word of god is going to happen in your life and they tried to kill jesus for it if somebody's believing god that god is a good god and he's going to if if somebody comes and tells you that they believe that god is going to heal them of, of uh, i don't care what it is get on their side or get away but don't get against them. There's no reason being against somebody who's just trying to get somebody saved, who's just wanting to do more for Jesus, who's wanting to believe him more, who's wanting to trust him more. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, I'm not talking about somebody that's, you know, uh, trying to get Buddha to answer a prayer for him. I'm talking about people that are calling out to Jesus in the name of Jesus, believing God that he's going to help you, that he's going to, you know, bless you, that he's going to do good things for you. But they just only think the rulers and the elders of Israel at this point could do was trying to preserve the status quo. They were trying to protect an old thing instead of allowing God to do something that they had not seen before. Which was in agreement with the Bible, by the way. Verse 9, this is what the, uh, the rulers of the people and the elders of Israel, uh, you know, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what he said to them. He said, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, right there I would have said, you're all crazy. But he didn't. Now, let, Peter said, now let me get this right in my head. Are we being judged today for helping a helpless person? For doing something good? For somebody that couldn't help themselves. Now, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means that he has been made well? Well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, 
of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief corner. Now there is salvation, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, now, now here he's preaching. He done took the council by shock. And the council says, oh my goodness. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they knew, they perceived, they understood that Peter and John were uneducated and untrained men. <laughs> they, they knew these men weren't this smart. These, this, this, these people aren't educated. They haven't trained to be priests. They haven't trained to be rabbis and teachers. Oh, my goodness. These are stupid people as far as, I mean, we, I got a degree in theology. Who do you think you are telling me? Stop healing those people. Stop right now. When they saw the boldness and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. They were shocked. And they realized, oh, uh, we know what happened. These people have been with Jesus. Listen, when somebody looks at you and realizes that you're ignorant and unlearned, let them know that you've been with Jesus. They realized, I know what happened to these people. They've been hanging around that Jesus, that guy that walked on water and that guy that, that broke the fish and loaves and that guy that, that the voice of heaven confirmed at his baptism, that, that, that one that defeated the temptation of the devil, that one that healed the multitudes. They've been hanging around Jesus, that guy that was raised from the dead. That's where they got this education. And seeing the man, looking around and seeing the lame man that had been healed, the religious leaders saw that man, that lame man walking. He hadn't, he hadn't walked all his life. He was lame from his mother's womb for 40 years, hadn't taken a step. And they saw him walking around, knew he'd been leaping and jumping and praising God. And now here he is standing with them. My goodness, they could say nothing against it. Wow. Don't you love that? Don't you love the fact that the proof of the pudding is in the taste of the pudding. Seeing that man that was lame healed, seeing that life that was in the gutter now with a smile on their face and joy in their heart, seeing that person that was confused and heard and angry, seeing that person that, that, was, that was filled with, with, with hatred, now their heart is open and full. Who can say anything about that church are those people that leave in their wake souls healed and touched and refreshed and made whole by the word of Almighty God. Man, well, I sure hope that we are that church that people look at our fruit and say, well, one thing about Church on the Rock, they leave them better than they found them. Amen. I hope they didn't say that about you. That you leave them better than you found them. Amen. In Jesus' name.